Now for a leader from the next generation. Larry Harris Jr. He became the CEO at the age of 21. There is a, a, an urge to drive, to serve the country. How is, in this modern age, is he getting drawn <coughs> in into this idealism, this commitment to service and to lead? What up? It's your boy Larry Harris Jr., a.k.a. Black Bobby. Uh, here today with a little post-South Carolina, uh, pre-Super Tuesday, and also wanted to discuss uh, the, the Trump deal with the Taliban today here on the Sunday at Oxwork. I uh, hope you can read the, the whiteboard behind me. Um, let me know if you can in the comments, but I uh, wanted to get into this pretty quickly. So first of all, let's talk about South Carolina. Um, you know, the obviously the primary in South Carolina took place. Uh, over the weekend, it was uh, a surprising win for Joe Biden. I'm not sure how surprising, but you know, he had not been performing very well in the previous primaries and did win this one by a substantial margin. Um, you know, one thing I point out about Joe Biden is that people talk about his electability, but in three times running for president and 104 states uh, contested, Joe Biden has one victory in all of those states. So I'm not sure where this national electability myth comes from with Joe Biden, given his name. Uh, it is a given that his name recognition is very high. Obviously, he was the vice president. Uh, but I don't think voters are as keen on him as people think. Anyway, I uh, wanted to point out that black voters in South Carolina went 60% for Biden overall. Um, tremendous achievement. Um, obviously, the vice president has some very deep roots in South Carolina. Part of that is he got the endorsement from Clyburn uh, leading right into the election that apparently was very uh, influential in people's votes. So, you know, he's a person with very deep roots in the area. So maybe South Carolina wasn't uh, uh, bellwether for the other states and African-American performance, and maybe it was an outlier, we don't know. Uh, one thing I will say is that black voters under 45 were split between Biden and Bernie, uh, which people thought Bernie would do better with black voters under 45. Biden obviously has a very tremendous uh, appeal in South Carolina. We'll see in the other states whether that trend holds up. Um, one thing I wanted to say today also, Tom Steyer dropped out of the race post-South Carolina. Uh, apparently his strategy was to put a lot of money into South Carolina um, and really focus on performance there. And he came in third. Now, here's my thing on that. Um, he, I know that he hadn't performed well in previous primaries, but if South Carolina was where you were putting your money uh, and, and thought you were going to have a very good uh, performance, uh, third place seems to me to be a very good showing for Tom Steyer. I mean, you know, what did he expect? First or second place? That's impossible with Bernie and Biden in the race. If I were him, I'd stay in and wait till Super Tuesday and see how I did. Use the uh, benefit of having my name out there and having done well in South Carolina to propel me. But he, obviously he felt different. Um, one thing I'll also say is that Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg seem to be done. And I will uh, put an exclamation point on that. You know, I had big hopes for uh, Senator Warren, um, but, you know, she has kind of come apart as a campaign um, over the last, you know, few months, um, doing a little bit better recently, but obviously not well enough with people of color to propel her beyond South Carolina. Now, that's one thing I noticed about her support base early on, whereas Bernie, you know, people compare Bernie and Liz, you know, Bernie, first of all, has a much more diverse 
base of support, whereas Elizabeth Warren is mostly white women of affluent stature. Uh, that's not going to propel you through a Democratic Party primary. Anyway, let's move on. That's enough South Carolina talk. But uh, I am looking forward to, to Super Tuesday. Um, that'll, that'll make a lot more of this clear. Um, Super Tuesday coming up. Um, you know, first thing I'd like to point out, people say, uh, you know, Joe Biden's campaign has been reinvigorated because of his performance in South Carolina. Um, you know, most of that is hogwash. You know, first of all, the thing you need to know is that Joe Biden has spent very little money on Super Tuesday ads uh, and Super Tuesday in general. Um, you know, I heard his ad buy for Super Tuesday is a measly and pathetic $300,000, whereas Bernie is spending $13 million. I mean, how could you possibly plan to compete in media buy if you're spending $300,000 when your leading opponent has $13 million spent on media? Um, also, Joe Biden has one office in California, uh, whereas Bernie has, you know, nearly or somewhere above or around 50 offices in California. I mean, that just shows you the depth of the ground game that Bernie has and the very paltry, empathetic uh, uh, effort that, Senate, that uh, Vice President Biden is making in states like California, uh, where is a tremendous opportunity to pick up delegates, by the way. This is all about accumulating delegates. So anyway, let's, let's call Bloomberg a wild card in this. You know, Mayor Bloomberg uh, hasn't uh, had a primary yet. Uh, you know, this is going to be his first opportunity to place in a primary. We're going to see how he performs. You know, to me, you know, Bloomberg isn't doing much more than cannibalizing Biden votes. Um, you know, this is the, the centrist wing of the party now, taking votes away from each other. We'll see if that trend continues on Tuesday. We'll also see what impact that has on Senator Sanders. Um, you know, it could be the case where Bloomberg taking votes from Biden increases Bernie's performance and we see bigger victories. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I just think that um, mostly what Bloomberg is doing is taking votes away from Joe Biden. Anyway, let's move on from Super Tuesday. I'm not one in the prediction game, but I am looking forward to the contest. Let's move on to Trump's Taliban deal, which I think is very interesting. Uh, something that deserved more uh, discussion in the media today, which I didn't see a ton about. They talked about Super Tuesday. They talked about South Carolina. They talked about the coronavirus. And those are all great topics. But the Taliban deal is extremely interesting to me. Now, first things first, when I was at the Kennedy School, uh, one of our major projects as students, it was a group project, was a rebuilding of Afghanistan project. Got me very hyper-focused on Afghanistan, its many provinces, its warlords, the Taliban, etc. Um, you know, one thing I'll tell you is that uh, this deal, to me, um, is, is something we should definitely pay attention to on a number of levels. First of all, because we're removing 5,000 troops and NATO is removing all the allied troops out of Afghanistan. That's amazing. That's something we've been talking about since 2007 that Obama promised to do. Um, you know, we are releasing uh, Taliban prisoners and Afghan security force members. Now, that is very interesting to me. Seems highly controversial, uh, but has received very little pushback so far from people that I've seen anyway. Um, one, the reason why I believe that's controversial is it's something that President Obama just clearly could not ever do. Not that he wouldn't want to, but that he couldn't because he would catch all kinds of flack 
from people like Trump all over the internet if he were to release prisoners who were previously in the Taliban back to the Taliban. They'd be calling him you know, some sort of terrorist sympathizer and all that kind of stuff. So it's very interesting that Trump has the political cover to do something like that that Obama probably could not do. Um, makes the deal even more interesting to me. And the last thing is that you got to pay attention to the political positioning that Trump is doing against the establishment. You know, this is a very interesting move on Trump's part because he is the anti-establishment, non-intervention person, right, in the, uh, president um, in office right now. Uh, you know, the only other person that's even running for president that's remotely close to him on, on policy, uh, international foreign relations policy, is Bernie Sanders. Everyone else is pretty much established, oh, Tulsi Gabbard, people like that. But everyone else who's viable, uh, Klobuchar, Pete, Liz Warren, uh, Biden, Bloomberg, all of them are more establishment, uh, war hawk, uh, continuation of the old, America as military police, that sort of thing. Now, Trump has made a very firm uh, step, step here, a statement, a line in the sand for anyone that's going to be running against him in the general election. They, they probably do not want to be positioned where they are right now, which is Trump as the anti-intervention, signed a deal with the Taliban, ending the war in Afghanistan, and them as the continuation of all that. So just uh, keep your eye on that. Um, I guarantee if Trump is an iota of uh, intelligent, he's going to try to position uh, people like Joe Biden, etc., as being part of the, pe the people that want to keep us in Afghanistan and him the person that got us out of Afghanistan. I guarantee that'll come up if it's one of those candidates, which is another reason why I support someone else, Bernie Sanders, who would not get caught in that trap. So at any rate, um, this is your boy Larry Harris Jr., a.k.a. Black Bobby. Wanted to do a little post-South Carolina pre-Super uh, Tuesday wrap-up for you guys. I hope you're enjoying your Sunday. Uh, good evening and good night. Peace.